0: Fun. Welcome again, Steve. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited you about you this. You know, you're going to have to
1: push me and, and interrupt me. I, I get going and, and then I just never stop. I've, I've, I've got a communication problem. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll do my best.
1: All right, do your best. But with also with us today, we've got Ashwarya Srinivasan, who, and I'll give give you a quick introduction Achwaria and then I'll let you introduce yourself but I know that you have an MS in data science from Columbia University I also saw on LinkedIn yes I do some of my research here that you state unicorn in data science and I want to <laughs> talk about that unicorn <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I you know how you got here is you were highly recommended via some of the the blog posts that you you've written. Why don't I, I turn it over to you so you can only go ahead. Okay, and sure. thank yourself.
2: you so much. I just joined the science team in uh, IBM as a summer intern and the experience has been like completely incredible and presently I'm dealing with like some of the reinforcement learning use cases uh, in the team. So uh, as you know that the DSC team typically takes in customer engagements and we have we have been building machine learning algorithms for them. This reinforcement learning models have been like taking into account most of the financial use cases of our clients. So that's typically my flow of work.
1: Now, so I got to go into this. I When I did the research on you, because I, I like to know my guests, right? You have your own website In about me, <laughs> a couple different things. Well, it said three things. One, a mischievous human, mischievous. I'd like to hear about it. <laughs> I would say
2: I'm more of a, a person who likes to take risks a lot lot of risks. I'm a person who would not look and take into account any and every constraint that come into my way. If I need to go somewhere, if I need to get something, I would do anything to get there. So that's, that's something crazy about me.
1: And then it says number 2 it says a data scientist by profession. I do want to talk about let me save that for a second. And I guess you you finished with where you started which is live life to the fullest, make a difference along the way. Sounds you like a you got a lot of passion for uh, innovation, a lot of passion for for data science, yes. right? You got a master's yes. in data science from Columbia. Uh, I know you I think your undergrad was more of a a you know general computer science degree. Yeah. Why data science? What made um, you head I in that direction? I would typically
2: say that most of my internships I used to do was like in every semester grade I I used to reach out to companies and get industrial work from them because just learning from school wasn't enough for me. So I wanted like industrial works to work with different uh, data sets, to work with different projects for me to grow personally. So uh, with all my work, I got to work with a lot of machine learning algorithms. So that's something which caught a lot of attention to me. And uh, that's basically my initial seed for getting into data science.
1: So, Data science, how long has the data science master's program been at Columbia? I mean, how, how long has it, it, it existed?
2: Um, it's been there for the past five years, and it's actually a 16-month program. I've completed uh, one year of it, and I'll be graduating oh, in December. So you
1: haven't, are you going to go on to a PhD?
2: Um, I wanted to go into a PhD, but the thing was I just completed my undergrad, and I wasn't sure if I want to get into academia for such a long time. Hence, I chose to have a master's degree, and later on in my life, if I work for a while, and then I would get into academia, academy again to
1: get a PhD. Uh, when, I, when I read through your profile and, and as the research that I've done, yeah. it seems to be spent a lot in healthcare. Is that true or is it also...
2: Healthcare is uh, one of the recent pro- recent projects which I've taken up at Columbia Medical Center. Before that, uh, I could like luckily get into a research assistantship with uh, Professor Andreas Muller. He's one of the core developers in Learn, So uh, I would say that's one of the star work I've ever done because not only I could work for him during the entire analysis of Learn, the research assistant assistantship was typically was to hire me and make me work on the analysis of psychic learn but then he just liked my work so that's something like
1: so brag a little bit what what made him take notice of your your work
2: uh just that he was expecting the work to be completed in a period of a year and i kind of completed it in three to four months and i used to like very constantly mail him update him so we had typically had bi-weekly meetings but i used to mail him every day and after every update i used to give him a detail uh, email about what all things have been going on, what things are going wrong and how I have solved them. So I used to document things pretty well. He was able to have a good track of my entire work and he probably liked the energy throughout the process. So that's something which made him think that I would be a good person to uh, be a contributor. Was this
1: this this yeah, is all during your master's was degree semester. or was it in your bachelor's? <laughs> oh, last semester. So you've caught the eye of the professor. You've already essentially got the degree <laughs> in hand, right? So, but you're also doing some work around stream mean data like heart rate data, yeah. blood pressure data.
2: Yeah, sure. Can you talk so, a little um, bit about that? Columbia University Medical Center, that's typically a, a surgical department and most of them are doctors, some of them are teaching professors but most of them are just surgeons so they have a lot of data and what they wanted to see that uh, they weren't able to separate and categorize patients into the ones who are like uh, critically ill and who could typically uh, end up with an acute kidney injury and from the ones who are like kind of normal. So, So uh, they had a lot of data which was like the pre-operative data based on the electronic health records of various patients and they had the interoperative data which was during the operation or during the surgery and they had post-operative data which was like immediately a few hours after the surgery. So acute kidney injury is something which the few hours of surgery and uh, where their kidney starts malfunctioning. So uh, they wanted a probabilistic distribution of how and when a patient is supposed to encounter this. So uh, that was the main focus of the project and we were trying to analyze the time series data we were trying to analyze a lot of different forms of data turned out to be really interesting that not only I was working with the uh, machine learning models I had been previously working with but I could also understand the domain knowledge I could understand what the data means so that's something um, which gives you a lot of in-depth knowledge into the industry so that's typically why I would say that what unicorn in data science means uh, when you have not only the machine learning knowledge but you also have the industrial knowledge in each and every domain you have been working on so which is again the same situation, like I have been working in the financial industry and uh, working on the reinforcement learning, how the entire process works, how the portfolio management uh, is pictured. That's the mere reason I would say I call myself a unicorn BSI.
1: Thank you. Steve, but I'll I'll turn the mic over to you for a second if you'd like. I think I was
0: going to head in the same direction. I mean, one of the things that I'm so curious about, I think Al, you and Ashwar are much more technical than I am. So I would love just to kind of intro to reinforcement learning and how it may different from supervised learning or unsupervised learning. Yeah,
1: and versus deep learning, machine learning, all the different learnings. I'm with you. So Ashwara, you're really focused on reinforcement learning. So for audience, can you explain what it is, why it's important? So
2: in layman terms, I would say that reinforcement learning is, of course, a very complex algorithm, but it tries to map some of the observed entities or your observation, the data which you have to some set of actions, what you want to drive it towards. And uh, during the process, you're trying to optimize some sort of long-term and short-term rewards. In a very, a simple example I would try to say that when, when a person is playing a game what he tries to do is he tries to take different actions for example, for example he tries to move the joysticks in different directions when he knows that his optimization function is to increase the points which he is getting while playing the game and the observations are nothing but the environment in which he is playing his position the position of different other entities in the entire game so that's the environment that's the observed entities which we are looking into and the actions are the the actions which he is taking in with the joystick and the reward is nothing but your points which you are gaining through the game. So that's like a very intuitive and simple example of what we would want to do in a reinforcement learning. On a high-level basis, I would say that how it differs from a supervised machine learning is that in a supervised machine learning, have a task-driven approach. By what I mean is that you have a a training data and you try to make your model learn the data. You make your model learn to do a task based on the data. And uh, while compared to unsupervised learning... You don't have a training data, and all you try to do is try to uh, separate, segregate, or cluster your data which you have in hand. So, uh, by that, I would say that reinforcement learning is simply trying to react to the environment based on some sort of a reward optimization. So,
1: I know uh, reinforcement learning has a model that surrounds it. And I think you've outlined a little bit of that model as you talk about long and short term rewards. But can you hit that again? And then also, if you could outline how the long and short term rewards impact and influence uh, the the next action? Yeah,
2: so uh, for example, what I mean by a short-term reward is that when the person turned turned the joystick to say right and he got some certain points while playing that action. But while playing that action, he probably screwed up some of the further moves. So that's the long-term reward which you would want to reward. You would also want to optimize your long-term reward by saying that if you're taking any action, how would it impact the future actions? And how would it impact your entire state, which would like, make you take a certain action
1: in the future. So the algorithm in this cl- yeah. case would aggregate the points relative to the longer term reaction and, and points therein that it is foregoing with that short term action. So it's Precisely. learning as it goes.
0: Ashwara, I'm just so curious when, so it's in, e- easy to understand some of this in the context of games, but when you have some system that's more complex, like the universe of banking mm-hmm. or healthcare, how do you adapt reinforcement learning? Do you change your hands, the tool set that you use in side of the reinforcement learning? So, uh, What's the let approach? me
2: give you a simple example of my work at IBM. So I've been uh, developing the reinforcement model for a trading environment and what happens there is, for example, you have the previous stock prices and you try to learn the trend from the past end days of historical data. You try to learn about how high and how low the prices have been moving in those ter- certain time span and based on that, you try to take an optimal action. For example, if somebody says that you uh, look take into account the previous 30 days of closing price and you compare that with your present closing price. If you see that the present closing price is at least X percent higher than the previous end days of closing price, you feel that there's a higher trend and there's an increasing trend and you go for a buy. This being X percent higher and taking into consideration the previous end days of data, all these are the variables which come into consideration when you're making a strategy for trading. So all these variables are auto-generated by the model and the model itself understands understands about how many days it has to look into take into account what percentage of increase does it have to uh, look for when going for a buy or a sell action when it comes to how a do trading you keep from
0: overfitting the model
2: i wouldn't say that there's no overfitting in the model because reinforcement learning keeps on trying optimizing the the reward function the entire quality function so here there's no overfitting because I'm not trying to upper uh, your data with some sort of a label
1: so i don't want to turn into a a stock assessment here but the one thing, just as it relates to stock, if you're an investor that uh, is interesting in here, it, it would seem that that model would be predatory as efficient yeah. market theory, meaning the market is efficient at any given time. But if you're one of the ones that don't believe in efficient market theory, which there's that may listen to us out there that I'm not one of, I feel like, you know, emotion drives the market all the time. Now, efficient market does work, but it drives the market as well. And I presume a model of this th- this form can't predict that, uh, that human emotion piece.
2: I would say that I totally agree to what you're saying. Saying so, the model which we have built at IBM is not just taking into account the historical prices. There are n number of different external and alternative data which we have taken into account. So the thing is, we have been uh, we have put the entire model to a patent, and we have already cleared that process a lot about the model here. But then uh, it's not just the historical prices; we have a lot of external data which is which is driving. So that's interesting to, to
1: me because off. kind of what you describe is a MACD or stochastics. Some some, some uh, historical assessment tools that you can use, but this is on steroids. And it sounds like what you're doing, relative to my question, is putting some of the emotional back into it. In other words, you know what you see the market doing in terms of perhaps sentiment analysis, uh, social feedback to you know build that into yes, the recommendations as well. Is that true?
2: We have been presenting know? the model to some of the clients, not the details of the model, but the high level high level diagram, and we share the results. So surprisingly, some of the financial clients they were. Very eager to know more about it, and we got an engagement with uh, Credit Suisse, and uh, I'll be going there for a full-fledged presentation on twenty-fourth of this month.
1: Nice. Well, don't give us go, don't give it all away. I think if us three get together, <laughs> we can go get make millions <laughs> over this. You know what I'm saying? Why would we give this away? So, Ashwarya, talk to me about the the Markov property, which says the future is independent of the past given the present. That's like a tongue twister. It's kind of a. a, a...
2: Um, I would say in layman terms, it essentially means that if you have the information about your present state then what you're going to derive for your future states would be just dependent on your present state and would not depend on your past so your past would have already affected your present right or your present on about your present would be just enough for you to derive your future
1: all right so so it's built in yeah. it's organic is what you're telling are are you seeing mo- some models that are not carrying to the markov property by which they're looking at past analysis and making false assessment assessments for the future because they're they're going back in time where they don't need to. It's already uh, built in. There
2: could be a lot of models which do not follow the Markov property. For example, when you're looking uh, into account the helicopter, then the entire trail of the helicopter helicopter's travel would definitely depend on its future. It's not just the position of the helicopter. It would also depend on where it's originating from. So the entire trail would be uh, dependent follow a Markov process.
0: I'm kind of curious to dive a little bit more into uh, open source. It sounds like you've been working with the scikit-learn library for Python. What interests you about open source and where do you see things changing in open source as time goes on? What interests so you? So, I would say the it?
2: most fascinating thing about open source itself is how transparent and how easy it is to share your expertise. So, and it also like curbs out a lot of redundant work in the space. So, there there may be a lot of people who have already been working in a certain set of modeling and building. So, it's it's very easy for the others who are also working in the space to reuse that part of the code and it enables them to add on their thoughts into that part of the model. It's not just restricted for you to use a specific model which is out there. You can also add your entire thoughts. You can add your testing. You can add your uh, innovation into that model. So that's what makes it entirely fascinating. And there's like uh, none of the hidden states over there. There's no hidden. So for example if I do not have a comp- in-depth understanding of how a logistic regression works I can very well open up the source code and try to understand how is it computationally working. So that's something which makes it very fascinating for computer scientists, for data scientists, and any of the other Is there a lot
0: of argument about whether things should work differently in open source? Do you see a lot of conversation around new models that could put into the into the module? and um, into the There's library? only
2: one thing which I kind of feel is a little restrictive when it comes to an open source is that if you have already built a model in a certain version, for example, if you have built the entire model using scikit-learn version 18 and further in the future, we have new releases and there are are a lot of things which get deprecated. There are a lot of things which get combined to the other like like other parts of the submodules. So that's something which makes you refactor the entire code when you're. Like there's a new release of the Python library.
1: True. I mean, when would you use reinforcement learning? What are the best conditions and when not to use reinforcement
2: Um, learning? I would typically say that, for example, if you're going to use reinforcement learning just based on the previous stock prices, your model would not obviously perform well because the market data which you're giving to the model is not sufficient enough for it to understand the environment. The model would still think that the environment is completely stochastic. Uh, The picture of the merger and acquisitions of the companies, etc. It's not taking into account the uh, the stock patterns. It's not taking into account any of the earnings reports and any of the stability of the company in the market. So, if you're feeding, if you have enough information for you to uh, create a completely uh, deterministic space for the model, you should go ahead and use reinforcement learning. But if you do not have data which can make the model understand the the environment completely on which you want to apply, then I would not really recommend using. But that is to say,
1: the rules need to be well defined, or do you think, or you think otherwise? Do you say no? The rules don't need to be that well. Defined. Um, I would you say, just X, for y, example,
2: uh, if you have seen Hunger Games, you do not where the animals are going to come from. So that's something which is completely stochastic, and you do not have any information about that data. You don't. You don't have any. Uh, understanding of those variables which would affect your actions right which would determine what you would want to do if you don't have that information in hand then there's no point of using reinforcement learning because your model is never going to understand that part of the environment but what people general data so they simulate that information and then make the uh, then make the model learn hey there it's
0: me w- listeners about what you love or don't love about the show don't worry we can take it we're strong we're tough let us know what you think now back to the podcast
1: so i swore you if you can net this out because bottom line in terms of what are the three you know fundamentals that you have to have to have a great reinforcement learning model like x1 in the what would those three things be? I would say
2: you should have a very well-defined observations about the environment. You should have a well-defined state. You should have uh, have the details about what your model should take. And you should have a set of actions, the possible set of actions. But the, the thing is, the set of actions are not something which gets cumbersome at times. It's typically the state space, which is really hard to define. And for example, a person who is working on a stock market might not actually know the entire intricacies of what all data what all data does drive the market right so that's something which is very crucial people would know that uh, we can do a long or short trade But they wouldn't know the entire data set or the entire set of variables which drive the market. So, I would say the most important things which you would need to build a reinforcement learning algorithm would be the set of uh, entities which you are taking into consideration, the state space, how you are building the state space out of your entities, and the set of actions which you would want your model to take.
1: I think you might have referenced this earlier. I know you've done some work in the healthcare industry around predicting a kidney injury or acute kidney injury. And those would seem to be the stock market and acute kidney injury completely 180 degrees apart. What do they have in common that make reinforcement learning, make the model uh, work um, with both of these I would say scenarios? I
2: wasn't working with reinforcement learning when it was the medical data. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because there was no action space, right? We are not trying to take any actions. We're just trying to predict the probability of the patient getting the acute kidney injury. So that part of the project was nothing related to... Re- so it goes
1: back to supervised learning. then. Yeah. All right. Very well. Okay. That makes sense then.
0: Given those three ideal scenarios or conditions, are there other industries or sectors or realms of inquiry that you feel like reinforcement learning has a good shot at making progress? Okay.
2: So um, I would typically say that most of the industry has still been looking into using reinforcement learning for a completely deterministic environment where we already talked about something like chess or having an alpha go or various different card problems. So all those things are something which have like a very deterministic state space. You exactly know how the environment would look like and you exactly know what would happen if you take a certain action. So there's nothing stochastic in that entire scenario. So people have been using um, I would say businesses are still not in in a space where they would happily adopt advanced machine learning, reinforcement learning is still far to go. So even most of the industries or even in finance, people haven't really adopted machine learning uh, completely. They still rely on most of the statistical methods of doing things. So, I would say it's like a long way for most of the businesses to adopt it.
0: Are there particular areas that you feel like could benefit in the future, even once when some of the data is organized and, and uh, the state space is understood?
2: Uh, I definitely would say yes. And uh, there have been a lot of research which has gone into the space where you have uh, production chains, where you have more like uh, handling the plants, where you have like a set of specific actions and you basically like switch on certain plants or switch off certain plants, switch on certain machineries when uh, a typical scenario arises so all those things are something where you would want to apply machine learning and uh, like in gen- in specific reinforcement learning so there have been a lot of research going on but I'm not really sure if companies have actually adopted them because such companies are mostly like the uh, the retail sectors the manufacturing units and I believe they have really or they haven't really appointed a lot of data scientists or machine learning experts out there mm.
1: I got a few questions for you personally. Uh, like I like to end with. Before I do, Steve, any other te- technical questions? No, this has you been, been a great Steve? conversation. Uh, first one is, is is you're doing a lot right now, and obviously it sounds like you're about ready to finish your master's. PhD, we don't know yet, but uh, you're getting your PhD uh, kind of like I've done <laughs> through trials and tribulations at IBM. Uh, so I understand that if you don't continue from that standpoint. But what are you most proud of at this point in
2: time? Um, I would just say I'm proud of the energy, that's it.
1: Out of the energy around yeah, all you're doing around is I'm proud of the ASR energy or? which i
2: got from my mom. So she she's 60 right now and she's completely energetic. She has like, I feel that she has like, she's one of the most energetic persons I've ever met. So I believe all the energy I have is from her and I'm really proud of that. The energy is the only thing which... Uh, which makes me drive forward and which makes me think that there's no end to anything. There's no end to learning. There's no end to like anything. Like the world is going to go ahead. It's not going to stop in the next hundred years, not going to stop in the next 200 years. So it's going to go along and you would have to like catch up with it.
1: So I was going to ask you the second question, but it sounds like you already uh, answered it. And that is what drives your passion. It sounds like your mom drives yes, your passion she does. She, She's your role model. Oh.
2: Yes, I would say she's my role model. Is she a
1: data scientist? Now that would be impressive.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, she is not. <laughs> she's a researcher, but uh, she's been working in a business school in India. And she's a researcher who, uh, like, gets to make all the content for the students who are coming for MBA. So I would say, actually, she was one of the first people who made me use IBM SPSS when I was in seventh grade. So people would not have even heard about what data is. And she used to make me learn wow, SPSS.
1: Impressive. So that is, you yeah, that, that is impressive. And it, it doesn't surprise me. You come from a, a an academic or a learning learning family. That makes sense. But seventh grade SSS. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. It's very cool. Did you, did you have uh, models that you've created at seventh eighth grade? No, I haven't an SPSS? anything. It's
2: just that she used to teach me everything she she did. So she used to teach me things which I never understood, and I was like, "What the hell is she even <laughs> talking about?" <laughs>
1: That's what us parents do. So she's done a good (laughs) job. So speaking of then, how do you learn today? How do you keep up with everything? Because it's changing fast and fast and fast. You can get easily discouraged. Um, So how do you keep up?
2: To all the listeners, if you are on social media, quit. The only social media you should have is LinkedIn. Be addicted to LinkedIn. That's enough for your learning. You have like tons and tons of things out there read about everything that interests you. That's pretty much enough for you to like, keep up with what's happening out there.
1: Are there any books or any, um, well, any collateral that you read that you find incredibly interesting that you would, you, you put at the top of the list. The, uh,
2: the secret and apart from that if you're looking into academic ones i have a list of them and even i have the links to the free free books on my personal website so just in case you want to look up into different domains of uh, advanced machine learning i have everything up on my website
1: nice thank you is there any questions that you wish i would ask that you had a good answer for that we didn't get to or that you really think is important for us to say before we no. break
2: I think it was like an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, everyone who joined the conversation. It was great discussing with you for like something more to come. Yeah, this was great.
1: Well, Steve, Ashwara, thank you for joining me today. I think this is one of those uh, podcasts where the learning continues and uh, in the sense that uh, people... can reference your website. Uh, they can reference your blogs and uh, and continue just like as you say. <laughs> your mom would be proud. So, th- thank you all. I appreciate you so much for being here. I learned a lot.
0: Thanks for listening
1: to the Making
0: Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes remember the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of ibm until next time over and out